This week, I want to share with you in the evening services, I think I'm going to do something different in the morning services, but in the evening services, I just want to talk about how that God made you uh, for success. He made you to be a winner. And I'm going to be talking about how to be a success. And this is not going to be a motivational speech. I know some people, when you hear a title like that, you think, oh no, another motivational thing. It's going to make me leave feeling like I'm a dud because I haven't done all of these things. It's not going to be that way at all. This is, this is quite a bit different than what you've heard. But I really do believe that God never has made a piece of junk. God has never made a failure. God has never destined anybody to a mediocre life ever. Every person that God created, I don't care what has happened in the past, how you may evaluate yourself or even how other people have evaluated you. Like Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end or the NIV says a hope and a future. You know, any of those things are good. I like all of that. But I really like the King James. Of course, I'm prejudiced. That's what I study all the time. But I like it where you have an expected end. What that means to me is that instead of just going through life and hoping that you finish your course well, hoping that you leave with a shout instead of a whimper, hoping that you can look back and be encouraged, you know, like the Apostle Paul and said, I have run the race. And I have finished my course and there's laid up for me a crown. See, most people would like those kind of things, but they have no confidence that they can obtain it. But that verse says that God knows his thoughts towards you and his desire is to give you an expected end, the end that is promised in the word of God. We can walk in victory. You can be like Moses. It was 120 years old and his eyesight wasn't dim or his natural force abated and that he actually climbed a mountain the day he went up to go home to be with the Lord. At 120 years old, he was still climbing a mountain. You know what, these things are in the word and you, God is no respecter of persons. What we have today is even superior to what people had in the Old Testament. And we, we can be guaranteed success. Now I'm not saying success without a fight, without effort, but God made you for great things. God created every one of us to be something special. And I believe that uh, this week I'm going to share some things with you that I believe will motivate you to press towards that, but also it'll help give you some direction. And I really feel that we live in a culture today that has totally uh, misrepresented what success is. Matter of fact, let me just start with this. I wrote down the dictionary definition of success. There's two things that were in this and it says the first one is the achievement of something attempted. That's success. Well, that is success, but that's a pretty broad definition. I mean, some people are aiming at nothing and they hit it every time. And so they, they could say, well, I'm a success, but it's more than that. You know, we've, we've built the campus here. We're starting on the other face. In a sense, you could say that's success, but that's, it's not about things and it's not about stuff that you do. The second definition was the gaining of fame or prosperity. This is how the dictionary defines success. And I tell you, I hate that definition. That is not a godly definition of success at all. I tell you, there are lots of people that have fame but it is not success. 
hell is going to be populated with the movers and shakers, all of the people that were on the magazines and all of the people that got all of the credit and that people just loved and talked about. It's going to be populated with people like that. That is not success. And just having money, prosperity is not success. You know, if you would just open your eyes and look, we, we've seen people that have everything in the world. They've got the fame. Everybody talks about them. They just, you know, are these beautiful people that everybody just raves and wants to be like them. And yet they wind up committing suicide. They wind up with their life in shambles. Having money and stuff is not success. It needs to be redefined. And I specifically want to say this because some people, as you start talking about becoming a success, we, we have been influenced by the world, I believe, more than we should. And we think that that means doing something grand, something big. Did you know not everybody is called to do something big? Again, I try and get this across to our staff all the time. You know, we have 300 staff here in the U.S. alone. And if it wasn't for every one of those people, we couldn't do what we're called to do. And they may never be the one in front of the camera, but they are just as much a part of what we're doing. The people that clean this facility, you will see this this week. We keep a clean place around here. And despite what you do, it's going to look good. We got the best people. And you know what? I really believe. Why would God give us a facility like this and help us to do it if we were just going to trash it? You know what? I really believe how you steward something depends on how much God will give you. There's some of you that are praying for a new car and yet the car you got is trashed. You can't put your feet on the carpet. You got newspapers or French fries or something on the floor and yet you're praying for another new car to trash. One of the reasons that we don't prosper is because we aren't a steward of what God has given us. And if you aren't faithful with the little, God won't increase it and give you more. So did you know, I think it is a important part of this ministry to keep the facility that God gives us in good shape and to make things look good. And you'll notice, uh, you know, in the winter, man, our staff, they were out plowing these roads and they take care of things. And I tell you, every one of those people are in full-time ministry. We have such a wrong impression and the world has made us think that unless you do something huge, that your life just isn't counting for anything. I'm going to try and counter that. I won't be able to get on all of that tonight, but I'm telling you that that you're just missing it. The whole way that success and uh, stuff has been presented is not a godly concept at all. And let me also say that there are some of you that are feeling like you are a success. I want to encourage people who feel like maybe they haven't done much, that God's got something for you and you can succeed regardless of what he's called you to do. So I think that this will encourage those who are discouraged. But then there are some of you who are just really thinking you're awesome. And I hope to discourage you a little bit <laughs> and get you repositioned to where you recognize that it's not after all of these temporary things that are going to pass away. God judges things differently than we do. First Samuel chapter 16, verse seven says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And you know, there are many people that on the outside, they just look awesome. But in the heart, they're miserable. They don't have the joy and the peace. I'm telling you, there is nothing, nothing in this world that will minister to you and satisfy you as much as knowing that you are in the direct center of God's will. 
And there are many people right here and watching by live stream or on archives that you can't say for sure that you know you're doing what God called you to do. You may love God. You may be wanting God to use your life and to bless it, but you don't know for certain that you're where you're supposed to be. And I'm telling you, that is one of the reasons that people aren't happier and aren't satisfied is because I believe God has given you a holy dissatisfaction. He's trying to stir you up. This is one of the ways that God motivates you and tells you that there's something more. Many of you are praying against the discouragement and stuff and, oh God, I just feel like a, you know, I'm going nowhere. Well, it, you could be discouraged. It could be the devil that's trying to condemn you, but it also could be God trying to net, let you know that there's something more. There is such a thing as a holy dissatisfaction. I, I know that the Lord has led Jamie and me many times. I, I, I could mention a bunch, but when we left Segaville, Texas, we had uh, usually not more than 12 people was a large crowd. And there was Jamie and me and our firstborn son and then my associate and his wife. I don't know why I needed an associate <laughs> when you only had five or six people, but we had an associate. And so there was always five of us there, but usually there was never more than 12. And we spent two years and people were telling us, get out of that place. They don't want to hear what you've got to say. Go someplace else. But you know what? I love Segaville, Texas. I used to just pray for it. I was so thrilled to be there, even though in the natural, there was a lot of problems and a lot of bad things going on. And then one day I was down at the church building praying. And I mean, I looked out the window and I thought, this is the worst place on the face of the earth. My love for that place just evaporated. And within seconds, I thought, who would live here? This is the end of the world. And I mean, my heart just boom, changed like that for two years. I had been focused on that place and instantly it changed. And it was such a dramatic change. I, I got to saying, God, what's happening? Is this you? And I prayed about it. And after two or three hours of prayer, I was convinced that God had told me that it was time for us to leave Segaville. And I actually, uh, the Lord gave me that we would be leaving on November the 1st. And so I thought, well... I'm going to go home and tell Jamie, I don't know how to present this because there wasn't any physical thing other than just a feeling on the inside. And when I got home, there was a for sale sign in our front yard. <laughs> and I went in and I asked Jamie, I said, what's the for sale sign? And she says, landlord came by and said, we've got to be out here November the 1st. <laughs> so I said, well, that's a confirmation, amen. And you know what? That's one of the ways that God leads you and one of the reasons some of you aren't satisfied and that you feel like you're going nowhere is because you are. God made you for something more than what you're doing. And this is one of the ways that God motivates us and gets us going. Let's look at this verse over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to start here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is talking about how he as a wise master builder had laid a good foundation. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. So it's given us six things here. Three of them are good things to build or there are, there are three things that are bad building materials. And it says in verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So this is describing that every one of us, you know, as we go through life, we are either building with gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. It did not say that everybody is building with gold, silver, and precious stones or everybody is building with wood, hay, and stubble. You have a choice. And the sad fact is that many of us build things in our life. We are focused on things and, and accomplishing things that aren't what God intended us to do. And so someday we're going to stand before the Lord and God is going to put a fire to everything. And you could expound on this for an hour or two. I'm not going to spend time to do that, but it says over in Matthew chapter 12 that we'll give an account of every idle word that we speak. So not only just our actions, but our words, the things that we say, everything is going to, we're going to give an account of in the day of judgment. There's going to be a fire put to it. And if it was wood, hay, and stubble, if it was works of the flesh, and again, you could teach on this for an hour or two. I'm just saying this real quickly, but this is talking about if you did things, it may have looked good to man. It may have conformed to the world's standards of what is a success. But if it isn't what God told you to do, if it's works of the flesh, even if it's good things, but if you did it on your own, that's big right there. There's a lot of people think, well, all of the adultery and the fornication and the drug addiction, those are wood, hay, and stubble. Did you know that there are people that have started churches that it was wood, hay, and stubble? Arthur, I, I interviewed him recently on an inside story, and Arthur was telling me that he was pastoring a church, and yet he was doing it in his own flesh, and it got so bad that he had a gun cocked, ready to kill himself. And that's when God taught him grace, turned his life around. Did you know he was pastoring a church? But that was wood, hay, and stubble or the way he was doing it. It doesn't matter whether the end result is good or not. God wants you to do it out of his ability. This is my own opinion. I think I could defend it, but I'm not gonna teach on that tonight. But I believe that what people call burnout is just people doing the good things in their own strength and power. They take the responsibility upon themselves and they are trying to do it out of their own self. And I tell you, nobody is qualified for, to serve the Lord. God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. And if you don't trust in the Lord, uh, you just can't accomplish things out of your own strength and power. So this is talking about wood, hay, and stubble. It doesn't have to be sinful, evil things. It's just talking about you doing things out of yourself. Someday, everything we say and do is gonna be evaluated by the Lord and if it was wood, hay, and stubble, if it was something that you did, even if it was good, but if it wasn't God, it's going to be burnt. I can just picture people standing before the Lord that have this huge mountain of all of the good things that they've done. And they've gotten the acclaim of all of these people. And man, God's going to put a match to it and it'll be reduced to nothing but ashes. And then there'll be other people that maybe didn't do anything that gained all of the attention of the world. And yet it was gold, silver, and precious stones. It's what the Lord led them to do. And they are going to shine. Their pile is going to be a thousand times bigger 
than the person who was on television, the person who did all of these things and got all of the acclaim of men, but it wasn't done God's way. God looks at things differently and notice it says that he's going to try every man's work of what sort it is, not what size it is. Again, the definition of success in this world is nearly all about bigger is better, but that is not true. You know, we were having a meeting with our directors and um, it was uh, Greg Moore giving a testimony to the directors about how that he pastored in uh, Houston for, I forgot how many years, but you went three years, went from three to 40 in a town of 5 million. <laughs> and he was feeling like, I'm, I'm not making a difference, you know, and he was, he was feeling condemned and the Lord spoke to him and he said, and he gave one example in that church of somebody's life who was totally transformed. And he says, isn't that enough? Isn't it enough if I sent you here just for that one person? And he said that, man, that set him free. And that's when he settled into his ministry and quit focusing on the size and all of these things. And he started just doing what God called him to do. You know, Lawson Purdue over here for a long time, pastored in Kit Carson. He now pastors in Colorado Springs and he's got a growing church and he's seeing lots of people come. But man, I used to go to Lawson's church when he only had a hundred people or less in that church. But he was in a town of what? 300 people. Did you know that was success? And he had his building paid for and he put lots of money into missions and he did more with a little tiny congregation than many people do with thousands of people. Carrie Nordquist over here came out of his church and she's been over in Russia now for... How many years? 13 years or whatever. And just changing people's lives. They got a vision of planning, uh, I think it's 5,000 Bible schools, or no, what is it? 1,000 Bible schools in the next five years. Did you know that Lawson sowed seed into her life for that? And she's known since she was a little girl that she's going to be a missionary. If that's all that God sent Lawson to Kit Carson for was to reach Carrie, then praise God, that's well worth it. Amen. So we need to redefine what success is. It's not all of these other things. It's not about fame. It's not about prosperity. It's not about just big and size. It depends on what did God call you to do. He's going to set a torch to every person's works. And only if you did what God told you to do, will it last. If it was yourself, even if it was good, it's going to be burned up. I believe that the average person pretty much goes through life just doing whatever fate, circumstances kind of force them to do. You know, everybody in my family was a teacher and they all went to college. And so I just was automatically going to be a teacher. And I am, but I'm not a school teacher. I'm the only one that broke the mold. But you know what? I started through school and I was just going to do this, but I was seeking God. God, what do you want me to do with my life? And God showed me what he wanted me to do. But if I would have just become a school teacher, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with being a school teacher if that's what God calls you to do. But if I had done that just because that's kind of like the family business and I did it because that's what everybody else expected me to do, someday I'd stand before the Lord and he'd, he, hold, he will hold me accountable for what he told me to do, not what somebody else told me to do. So even though being a teacher is a good thing, even though being a lawyer or a banker or all of these other things, it's good. 
That's, that doesn't mean that this is what God has called you to do. God made every one of you for a purpose. You know, I could get way off the subject here and I've got a great teaching entitled How to Find, Follow, and Fulfill God's Will. It's actually three teachings rolled into one. I've got a book on it and stuff. I'll just refer to it. But it, I use scriptures like Jeremiah chapter one, Galatians chapter one, where Jeremiah said, where the Lord told Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you came forth out of the belly, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. And then Paul said something similar in Galatians chapter one, where he said that God separated me unto the gospel from my mother's womb. God had a purpose for these people before they were ever born. God doesn't just look at you and say, oh, well, you can sing. And oh man, you're a, you're a speaker. And oh, you have an ability with math and you could teach people math or maybe you could become an engineer. And he doesn't look at you and choose something for you or just say, do the best you can. But God created you before he formed you in, his, in your mother's womb. He had a design for your life. If you add to that Psalms 139, those verses talk about that God saw all of my parts before they were even formed. And in the NIV, it says that all of my days were written out before any of them existed. This doesn't mean that God just looks at you and chooses you to do something after the fact. God created you with a certain purpose. Whether you're a male or a female, whether you are white or black, regardless of what country you live in, God formed you with a purpose. There is a purpose for your life. And it's not up to you to just go through life and do whatever you want to. And if you're born again, say, God, I want you to bless it. There's a better way. This is the reason that some people are so stressed out is because when you are the one who's trying to make things happen and you're trying to plead with God to bless what you're doing, I tell you what, that's stressful. There's a better way to live. And that is just to run up a white flag. God, here I am. I love you. What is your purpose for my life? You find it out. And then if God tells you to do something, he would be unjust to tell you to do it and expect you to get it done in your own strength and power. He will equip you. You know, matter of fact, I looked up the word vocation. You know what the word vocation means? The second definition of it is specifically talking about a religious calling is what the dictionary defines it as. And it comes from a Latin word that means call. Your vocation is talking about your calling. Every person has a calling from God. You know, when I was a little kid, I remember at five and six years old, I used to lay down in the backyard at night and I'd look up at the stars and I'd spend hours just praying. And this is before I was born again, praying and asking God, what's all of this about? What is my purpose? I've known since I was born that I had a purpose and I, I don't believe that's unique to me. I believe that's unique to every single person. Some people give into it. Other people reject it or get occupied and drowned it out. But the truth is God created every one of us with a purpose. And I've been seeking the purpose of God my whole life. And then when I had this experience in 1968, man, I just ran up a white flag and said, God, whatever you want. And immediately, I, all I've done is just hold on to the Lord. And God, I would have had to have backslid on God to keep from what, doing what I'm doing today. God has supernaturally worked in my life. 
You know, this very bill, I just want to use this as an example, but if when we had our grand opening here, it was an awesome service. I loved it. It's one of the greatest services I've ever been in. And we had four inches of snow that night and it diminished the crowd, but it was still awesome. And anyway, uh, in an effort to show that this isn't something that Jamie and I begged God for and tried to get God to do, we were trying to show that this was a God thing. We have a video and it's on our website if you'd like to watch it, uh, the grand opening and you can see it, the whole service. But our television department went down to uh, San Antonio and interviewed uh, um, Mark and Deb Littlestar. And they're the people who built the lodge over here. And the Littlestar, anyway, the story, the real short version of it is that Deb's father, Gilbert Jackson, he and his brother bought up much of the land here in Woodland Park. At one time, they owned most of the land. And uh, he was not a Christian. He thought Christians were people who needed crutches and he didn't need a crutch. And he was a real intellectual. And so the little stars never felt like they could really share with him. They were praying that God would send this intellectual across his path. You know, we often think that God can only do things in a certain way. But the way that Gilbert got reached was he had cancer. He went through treatment. He was put in hospice and his hospice nurse was a woman that didn't even have an eighth grade education. She was a woman of a different color and just totally out of his realm. Nobody thought that that's how they'd reach. But on his 72nd birthday, which was I think June the 22nd, 1993, uh, they had a party and after everybody left, his hospice worker said, Gilbert, you got everything but one thing. And he was shocked because he was wealthy. He had all of these things going and it is like, what don't I have? And she says, you don't have Jesus. And she got to telling him about how Jesus is what he needed. And the man had a vision of Jesus and he got born again. And the next day he called his family and started telling everybody about Jesus. And he only lived two weeks after that experience. But in those two weeks, he got so turned on to the Lord that he asked his daughter to take this property where we're standing right now and dedicate this property for Christian education. Isn't that awesome? And sometime during those next two weeks before he's, he died, he saw a building built here with glass all across the south end so that people could look at Pikes Peak and feel like they were outside uh, enjoying the beauty of Colorado as they learn about the Lord. And that was his desire. Did you know that that was June the 22nd of 1993, and I forget exactly when the, when the uh, Grace and Faith Conference in England was, but it was that same month. I think it was either that week or the week before I was in England and God spoke to me in England and told me to start a Bible school. On the other side of the world, God spoke to me and I live 17 miles past here. I, drive, I drove by here every day for 26 years and didn't know this place was here, but God put this together. And after we shared that testimony, the little stars came on at the very end and they said, this just shows you how one person can make a difference. Merlene Harrison was the lady who led Gilbert to the Lord. And you know what? Eighth grade education, 
Probably she's never been ranked very high in the eyes of most people. Probably never got a lot of acclaim, but Mark Littlestar was saying that shows you what one person, how they can make a difference. He started something into motion that today we're experiencing part of it. There's going to be a lot more. And if the Lord tarries, there could be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people changed through what Gilbert started in motion. And did you know there was hardly a dry eye in the place? And then when it was over, it just so happened, Merlene Harrison, we flew her in from Texas and she was sitting here on the front row and everybody just went wild, praising God for this one woman who obeyed God and started all of this in process. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this isn't something I wanted. I never wanted a Bible school. I'd seen people who went to Bible school and I didn't want my name associated with that. And in just a moment, God changed my heart, spoke to me. God did this. God is the one that ordained it. God saved this property for us. Did you know they had a plan to turn this all into a housing addition and it just wouldn't work because God had it saved for us. We didn't make this happen. I've never spent up, uh, stayed up at night, spending a night praying and saying, oh God, please help this thing to work. This is something God told me to do. It's his business. You know, this increase of $10 million over the second building. Some people are like, man, that's terrible. Well, I don't have, I don't have $5 million. What's the difference? Amen. <laughs> I can't do this out of my own pocket anyway. And so it doesn't matter. You know what, I want to be a good steward and I don't want to just spend money, but I'm saying that it's, it's not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. I'm just doing what he told me to do. And I'm telling you that that is a superior way to live than to do something and have the burden and the weight on your shoulders to get it done. That is not what God called us to do. So it's, it's God's going to look at what sort every man's work is. And it says... I, I didn't read the rest of this, but in verse 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. This isn't talking about a judgment, a rejection, a punishment or anything like that. If you're born again, man, you're in, praise God. But there are gonna be such things as rewards. And when we stand before the Lord, God is not going to judge according to the American standard of what a success is. He's going to judge by his standard. He's going to look at your heart. He's going to see, did you do what I told you to do? You know, I won't take time to turn over there, but Jesus ministered to the, the uh, 5,000 men, not including all the women and children and multiplied the food. And, and it was just awesome. Then he got into his ship and went to the other side and the people ran around the lake and the next day they caught him and this multitude wanted to take him and make him a king. And Jesus knew that even though, you know, that sounds good, he knew their heart wasn't right. He said, you aren't seeking me for the right reason. You're seeking me because I filled your belly. You're seeking me because I did what you wanted me to do. The first time I didn't do what you want me to do, you'd leave me. And man, such wisdom in that. Most people today would do anything to draw a crowd. They'll compromise. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're listening. 
We've got these mega churches today, which I'm not saying every mega church is bad, but I'm saying there are churches today that will compromise the gospel. They'll take people into a back room to get them baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. They don't want to offend anybody. They will do anything. They'll draw all of these people in and compromise. Man, Jesus wasn't like that. He knew that these people's heart wasn't right. And so he just began to say, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I'm the manna. And man, this offended them. And he began to say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. And then they thought he was speaking of cannibalism. You know what most ministers today would have done? They would have fallen all over themselves trying to apologize and, oh, you misunderstood and explain because they don't want anybody to misunderstand them. You know, I just got a criticism today of somebody who misunderstood something I said. And, you know, I don't want to go out of my way to offend anybody. I'm not trying to offend people. But I came to grips long ago that somebody's going to take whatever you say wrong. And I just don't have time to spend the rest of my life apologizing. And so, you know, Jesus, his disciples came to him. Don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? And he says, let them be offended. The blind leading the blind. They'll both fall into the ditch. Don't you know that Herod was offended? He says, go tell that old fox this. He didn't try and explain himself to these people. He didn't bend over to try and explain things. You know, there's some people that are just, they're going to take stuff wrong. I told people, I said, if you'll call in to us, I'll give you a free tape. And I gave them my number. 719-635-1111. And we had a woman write in and try and sue us. She says, I'm going to sue you because you promised me a free tape if I'd call in. And she says, I tried and I don't have an 11 on my phone. So you had false advertising. <laughs> How do you deal with stuff like that? <laughs> I didn't even dignify it with an answer. You know what? You just need to forget it. But anyway, Jesus... Instead of bending over and saying, oh guys, I'm not talking of cannibalism. He just repeated it and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. And did you know that they thought that he was speaking of cannibalism? They were so ignorant spiritually that they didn't understand the application and 5,000 left. 5,000. You know, we have just a little over 1,000 in here. What would happen if I was preaching and it offended people so that they just started getting up and pretty soon everybody's gone but my staff? <laughs> Did you know most people today would say that wasn't a success? We evaluate success on numbers of people, on all of these kind of things. Did you know that that may have been the, one of the greatest success that Jesus ever had? Because he did what his father told him to do. He didn't pander to people just because he wanted their acceptance. He said what God told him to say. And if it cost every single person leaving, he was fine with it. And he turned around to his staff. It'd be like everybody in here leaving. And I turn around to my staff and say, guys, did I make a mistake? What should we do? I need a hug. Something like that. <laughs> I just turn and say, there's the door. You want to leave? That's the way that Jesus did it. And you know what? That's a success because he did what his father told him to do. I believe that there are people that have crowds and have money and have things that most people consider success, but they had to compromise to get it. Anything you compromise to get, you're going to lose. 
And someday we're going to stand before God and God's not going to ask how big things were, how much money came in, whether other people liked you, whether you got into the who's who or whatever. He's going to ask you, did you do what I told you to do? And if you didn't, you'll suffer loss. You'll, you yourself will be saved and he'll say, well done. He'll accept you in, but you aren't going to have the rewards. And in this life, you aren't going to have the joy and the peace that you should have if you were doing what God told you to do. There is a satisfaction that goes with knowing that you're in the center of God's will that you can't get any other way. You know, let me tell you this story real quickly. I went to um, Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been going there every year for 26 years. This is Pastor Darian Caring's church. And man, they are a blessing. And anyway, one of my partners there has a business and he has me come in and speak to his business. And anyway, one time I went in, he tells the people the clock's running. I'm paying you. You listen to this man as long as he wants to talk and I'll talk to him and then I'll pray for him. We've seen great, great things happen. And one year I came out and there was an Oriental lady sitting at this desk and she wasn't in the group. And so I said, who are you? And she says, oh, I'm the receptionist. She says, I'm the new kid. And they made me stay out here and answer the phones while everybody else was back there in the break room. She said, who are you? And I gave her my name. She says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a minister. And she said, for who? And I said, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she looked at me and she says, you're the one. And I said, I'm the one what? And she told me that she was a Buddhist. And the night before she was going through her rituals, whatever that is, and she just said, God, I know you're real. I know you exist, but I can't believe that this is it. And so she said, if you're real, just reveal yourself to me. And she said, there was this ball of light that came right in front of her and it was pulsating. And there was an audible voice that said, tomorrow I'll send you a man who will tell you who I am. And she says, you're the man. And I said, I'm the man. Amen. <laughs> and I got to lead that woman to the Lord. It was awesome. And you know, it was glorious to see her life change. But when I got out to the car, I just sat there and for a while I couldn't even do anything. I thought, God, was I in the right place at the right time or what? I knew I was exactly where God wanted me to be. And I'm telling you that there is a satisfaction and a peace that goes with that, that you'll never get just doing your own thing and asking God to bless it. You were created by God for a purpose and everything about you, whether you're a man or a woman, everything about you is geared towards a purpose that God has for your life. Your temperament, your talents, everything about you is to accomplish a goal. And it may not be one that reaches the whole world, but you might be the one that led Billy Graham to the Lord who reaches the whole world. You've got a part to play and you've got to find out what that part is. You only have one chance of fulfilling it. Those of you who feel that you're just so talented, oh man, I can do multiple things. I feel sorry for you because that makes it hard to discern God's will. It's a blessing to be like me that I've never been special at anything. And so, man, I didn't have five directions I could go. I said, God, I've got to have you speak to me. And the Lord called me to do something that was totally outside of my comfort zone. I was an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. And now I talk to millions of people every day. 
God will call you to do something that's beyond yourself that will make you depend upon him. If what you are doing, you feel that you can handle it, then I can guarantee you, you haven't found God's will for your life. God will call you to do something that stretches you, that makes you depend upon him. He will put you into an area that you aren't comfortable in, in yourself. God is a big God. And I guarantee you, he's got big plans and he is not just trying to barely scrape by. He didn't make anybody to be a dud. Every one of us have a special purpose on our life and we need to find out what it is. Let me use a couple other scriptures real quickly here in Luke chapter 12. Jesus was talking to people who came and asked him to divide the inheritance among his brethren in any way. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12 and verse 14. He said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Again, this is counter to our culture. Our culture basically is saying that success is a person who's got a lot of stuff. Americans' motto is get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. And that is pretty much the philosophy of most people. This is completely contrary to that. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You know, the average person, if you were to win the lottery or just have a windfall of cash come in, the average person, even the average Christian would think that, man, this is just so that now I can live up to the max. And you would go into debt and you would leverage everything and get the biggest, best of all of these kind of things. You know, sooner or later, you just need to reach a state of contentment to where you aren't looking for more things. How many bathrooms do you have to have to go to, you know, take care of business? How, do, how big does your bathroom have to be? I've been in some bathrooms and honestly, it's as big as some people's houses. How many square feet do you need? How many beds can you sleep in at one time? You know, sooner or later, we just need, to, I mean, I believe God wants to take care of you. I'm not against people having really nice houses. That's great. But I'm just saying, when is it that you're going to just say that you're content? Sooner or later, we need to quit lusting after things. This is basically the average philosophy of most people that, man, the more is better. That's not true. I have met many, 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 many people who had a job that was good. It was meeting their needs. They were fine. They're, they had a great church. Their children were plugged in. Everything in their life was going fine. And then they're offered a promotion. And just nearly by default, if it's more money, if it's more influence, if it's more, then they just take it. And man, their family unravels. They'll move to a different city and not even go check to see if there's a good church to go to. They just take it for granted, but it's an advancement. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things that he has. You need to evaluate things a little more critically than that. And yet again, I think that even Christians are drawn by this wrong thinking about what success is. Success is doing what God called you to do. And you know, there's multiple benefits to that, but if you would just stick with what God called you to do, then you'll stay inside of an anointing and God will make you look good. But if you, you know, there are people, there's this book called the Peter Principle 
about people who are so successful and so good that they get promoted and eventually they get promoted beyond their skill level and they wind up getting fired. And if they would have stayed at a lesser level and have done what they were really anointed to do, they would have just prospered from now on. But then they just keep getting promoted and they eventually get promoted beyond their ability. Man, bigger is not always better. More is not where it's at. What has God called you to do? Look at this verse over in Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight. Jesus said in verse 34, he called the people unto him with his disciples also. So he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whatsoever therefore, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also will the son of man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his father with the holy angels. You know, this is saying that, man, we need to evaluate things in the light of eternity. It doesn't matter what you can gain in this life. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And I tell you, when I see people on television, movie stars, and you know, they, they do all of these things, they talk about these people who are making so much money and everybody just talks about them. And I look at them and see a hollow, empty, miserable person. It doesn't impress me at all. And I don't believe it impresses God. God looks at your heart. And if you aren't enjoying life, you know, over in Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23, let me just read this to you quickly. I'm trying to hurry. I got my main point. I'm still working up to. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter nine in verse uh, 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Instead of evaluating things the way that the world has and putting it on, you know, just things, and fame and prosperity and stuff. It needs to be about our personal relationship with the Lord. It's all about whether or not you know the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, if you don't have a vibrant relationship with the Lord, then you're a failure. And I don't care how much money you've got. I don't care how much fame you've got. I don't care if people who and all, when you come into their presence, if you don't have a vibrant, powerful relationship with God, you're a failure. And I'm wanting this teaching this week to be encouraging you about how God made you for success. But before you can get there, you got to make sure you're headed in the right direction, that you're going to the right place. Paul Milligan this week said, you know, if you don't know where you're going, then any old road will do. I thought that was a great statement. And if you just think success is just doing any of these things, well, then you know what? You can take a million paths. But if you can accept the things that I've talked about tonight, that you were created with a purpose that God made you for a reason 
Everything about you is geared to fulfill something that is in the heart of God and your only chance to reach full potential and to be a success in the eyes of God is to find out what he has for you. And see, if that's not the way you're thinking, then you're starting from the wrong place. You're headed to the wrong place. So before we can edify you, we got to terrify you. Amen. <laughs> Brother Dave Duell, I think I pinched that one from. But you've, you've got to make sure that you're moving in the right direction. And there's a lot of people that aren't. So let's turn over to Romans chapter 12. These are the verses that the Lord used to just radically transform my life. This is the very first passage of scripture that the Lord ever quickened to me supernaturally. And I tell you, I still am living this. This totally changed my life. The background of this was, like I told you, since I was a little kid, five or six years old, I knew God had a purpose for me. And I'd sit and lay out in the yard for hours at a time, just praying, God, what's the purpose for my life? But then as I got older, I became a typical kid. I got to doing the things with my other friends and I honestly just got occupied and, and uh, didn't give that much thought to it. But as I was nearing the end of my high school, they were telling us, now you got to make decisions about what are you gonna do with your life? And once again, I started realizing that God, I believe you've got a purpose for my life. And so my senior year in high school, I stayed up. Uh, I'd, I'd get in at like eight or nine o'clock and I would read the Bible until two or three in the morning. I bought a Matthew Henry commentary when I was a senior in high school and read the entire thing in a year. If any of you have ever read the unabridged five volumes, that is huge. Plus I read the whole Bible. I knew that my answer was in here someplace. And I just started seeking the Lord and I got hungry for the Lord. So I did that all through my senior year. And then I went into college, my first year in college. And I was all the way up into uh, December of my first year of college. And I was at this thing, a youth group in Alamogordo, New Mexico, Cloudcroft, New Mexico. And a man who was giving a devotion read Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. And when I read this, it's just like, man, here was a neon sign. I've been saying, God, what's your will for my life? Look at this. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then this phrase that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? That just jumped out at me. This is what I'd been wanting. God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? And I didn't have total revelation of it at that time, but I mean, it was like God just underlined those verses and says, you go back and do Romans 12, one and two, and the end of verse two will come to pass. He, he spoke it to me this way. He says, if you will do what Romans 12, one and two says, you would have to backslide on me to keep from fulfilling my will for your life. Man, that was huge. So that was Christmas, 1967. And from then until March the 23rd, 1968, this is the only passage of scripture that I read. I just read this over and over and over and over and over and over. And God, what does it mean? How do I do this? How, what is, what is all this? How does it apply to me? And anyway, real quickly, here's a couple of the things that the Lord spoke to me. The Lord got across that his will for my life is Romans 12, one, to be a living sacrifice. 
See, I was looking for God's will. I was looking for the vocation. What profession do you want me to have? What kind of work do you want me to be, to do? That's what I was thinking of. The Lord redirected it and says, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. You need to be a living sacrifice. That's God's will for every person in this room tonight, every person watching by live stream and every person in the world. It's God's will for you to be completely committed unto him. And it says, this is your uh, reasonable service. Is that the way it says it right here? Your reasonable service. One of the translations says it's your normal Christian duty. This isn't just for preachers. This isn't just for people that come to Bible school. This is every person. Jesus died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price. And we owe him everything we are and everything we have. He's the one that gave you your talents and ability. You can develop something that God has given you, but you can't put in what God left out. You know what? I can sing. I tried out for uh, all state choir when I was in high school. It was pitiful. But I was in the choir. I sang solos. I did a musical in the ninth grade. I was the singing freshman, the lead in a musical. That's pretty good for a guy that was an introvert. But you know what? I could develop all I want to and I'll never minister like Daniel. Daniel's got an anointing on him to do that. I'm not anointed to be a musician. I can sing so that it doesn't sound bad. If I turn the volume up loud enough, you know what? I can't tell that it's not me singing. So I sing and I do things, but I'm not like Daniel, like Dave Hinton, like Charlie and Jill LeBlanc. I'm not anointed in that area. I, I can't make myself something that God didn't call me to be. God called me to ministry as word and I can do other things, but that's not my calling. That's not my vocation. And so in, the Lord told me to quit focusing on what I was going to do. God's will for me was to be a living sacrifice. That's God's will for you. And I promise you, if you make yourself a living sacrifice, if you turn your life over and say, God, I'm laying everything, all of my plans, everything. I mean, nothing held back. I could preach on this for hours. I hadn't got hours but I'm just telling you that you need to come to a place to where there is absolutely nothing that is off the table. You've put everything you are, everything you have, all of your desires, everything, everything on the table. I just don't relate to these people who come and say, God told me to come to Bible college, but and then they tell me all of these other things. Man, if God spoke to you and told you, you aren't a living sacrifice if you don't do what God told you. Who cares about anything else? God told me to quit school is the first thing he told me to do. And you know what? It cost me money. I lost $350 a month in government support from my dad's death, social security money. I got kicked out of my church. I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. Could have killed me, but it didn't matter. That's what God told me to do. And if God told me to do it and he sent me to Vietnam and if I died in Vietnam, I'd have been glad to have died in Vietnam. It wasn't my, it wasn't my choice. Once you become a living sacrifice, it just takes the pressure off. There, there, I, people all of the time, well, I'm struggling with this. The only reason you're struggling is because you aren't a living sacrifice. You aren't committed to God. You'll say God tells you to do something and then you'll debate whether you do it. I don't relate to that. I just don't relate to that. 
You know, when the Lord first told us about this, back four years ago when we started this project, I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. And it takes us $40 million, or well, probably less than that, probably $30 million a year just to pay our bills and stuff. And on top of that, I needed another $32 million. You know what? In the natural, there's no reason, there's no way to do that. And I do not beg people. And I, don't, I haven't pressured anybody. I hadn't done any of those things. But it wasn't me. God told me to do it. God knew how much it was going to cost. It's his problem. It's not my problem. And I just stepped out. And you can ask my staff. I told them from day one, I said, this is not going to be a problem. We'll do it. And we'll do it debt free. And we did. And some of you are thinking, well, you got this bill. But what about that second building over there? You know, you carnal thing. How could you be sitting here in something that in three years is debt free and we had no money when we started and it's done and now you're going to doubt that God will do the rest. Man, how carnal can you get? Hey man, if this doesn't bless you, you you're, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. I'm telling you, I just have made a commitment and God tells me to do something and the pressure's on him. It's off of me. Amen. We just added another network that's $150,000 a month. It starts, started today. And then I got another offer today from uh, uh, Los Angeles. Did you see that one, Paul? They're offering us a place in Los Angeles at 7.30 in the morning for $43,000 a month. I'm not saying I'm going to take that. I hadn't prayed about it yet. But if the Lord tells me to do it, we'll do it. Amen. Some of you think you can't live that way. Well, don't wake me up because this is how I'm living and it's working. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there is benefit to just letting God be the boss and let him take all of the flack and God, do you realize what you're telling me to do? <laughs> and you'd let him bear the burden of it. And so the real key is God's will for every person isn't whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, or whatever it is. God's will for you is to be a living sacrifice. That is God's will. And if somehow or another you try and get around that and, and obtain God's calling and vocation for your life without being a living sacrifice, you would mess the whole thing up. You know, one of the reasons that I believe that God kept our ministry from growing for so many years is because I wasn't ready yet. I used to pray and say, oh God, use me. Oh God, use me. And one day the Lord spoke to me and he said, the reason I don't use you is because you aren't usable. And he says, the moment you get usable, I want to use you more than you want to be used. He says, don't you ever ask me to use you again. Just seek me, be a living sacrifice, renew your mind. And when you get usable, I'll use you. And it was uh, July the 26th of 1999 that the Lord spoke to me and he says, you're just now, when I started on television, January the 3rd of 2000, he says, you're just now starting your ministry. At that time, I'd been in ministry for 31 years. And he says, you're just starting. Everything else was preparation. It took me 31 years to get where I was usable. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not saying that it has to take you as long, but I am saying that that's the reason 
that things didn't work out is because God was just working on me. And this is the way that he wants it for everybody. If somehow or another, I had been able to short circuit or short cut this thing and get to where we are now with the opportunities and the things that God's telling me to do. And if I had done it without this process where he was, uh, you know, conforming me to his image. And if he would have put me in this position, I'd have, I'd ruined the whole thing. I've seen people that have kicked the door down to get in and then they get in and they've messed the whole thing up because it was them that forced the issue. Man, there is something just so liberating about you just seek the Lord and you just hold on. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster and I'm strapped in, holding on for all I'm worth and God has taken me for a ride. I'm not in control of anything. I'm just strapped in and holding on. That's the way your life ought to be. Like you ought to get up in the morning like, God, this is awesome. What do you have today? Instead of you feeling the pressure on you, it's God, you got this far. What is it you want us to do today? That's awesome. So God's will is for you to be a living sacrifice and that's your reasonable service. That's the normal Christian duty. This isn't just for the super saints. It's for every person. And then the second thing, verse two, is you be not conformed to this world not in your actions or in your thinking. Tonight I've been focusing on being a success. Don't use the world's definition of success. Don't think that bigger is better. What does God want you to do? What has God ordained you to do before you were even born? What are all of the giftings that he put on the inside of you? What did God make you for? And you have to be conformed to his thinking, not to the thinking of this world. You do those two things. You make yourself a living sacrifice and then you get in and renew your mind by the word of God. Then it says you will prove. The word prove means to make manifest to the physical senses what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a plan for every person. He's got a perfect plan for every person here. But it has to be manifest. It has to be appropriated. We've got to renew our mind. We've got to learn how to follow and cooperate with God. There are things that we have to do to see God's will come to pass. It does not automatically come to pass. God does not sovereignly make you the person that you're supposed to be. You cannot blame all of your problems on God. He did not cause it. But you have to, first of all, be a living sacrifice and then renew your mind. And if you do that, you would have to backslide on God to keep from finding his good, acceptable and perfect will. I believe that there's three, you know, stages here. You don't just step from never having done what God wants you to into the perfect will of God. You, it's steps and stages. I'm still taking steps and stages. I'm not everywhere that God wants me to be. He's shown me there's other things coming and I'm still in process. I remember being with Pastor Lawson Purdue and God spoke a prophecy through me that there was five stages to his ministry. And I think at that time they were in the second one or something. You know, every one of us have steps and stages. First the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. Mark chapter four. Nobody steps into the perfect will of God just instantly. You have to start moving in that direction. But if you would do this, if you would make yourself a living sacrifice and say, God, it's all about you. What good would it do for me to find my vocation, my call, 
and start trying to accomplish it if you aren't controlling my life, if you haven't infused me with your power, if my mind's not renewed, I just blow the whole thing. So you just start with the bottom rung on the ladder. You don't try and jump up to the top. You start right there. The first step is to be a living sacrifice, to run up a white flag and just lay yourself on the altar. You know, when you're a sacrifice, it means you aren't calling the shots. You haven't got anything held back. We read it earlier that you got to lose your life in order to find it. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people right here that the reason you haven't seen things work better and that you don't have the contentment and the fulfillment and the sense of destiny and all of these kind of things is because you've missed the very first step, which is being a living sacrifice. And you would like God to use you, but you aren't usable. And so the first thing you've got to do is to become a sacrifice. You've got to make this commitment and then you've got to renew your mind. And sadly, this is not easy to come by today in most churches. Most churches are just out to make converts and then you go to church one hour a week. You are never going to be a disciple one hour a week. You're going to have to put more effort into it than that. And that's the reason we have our Bible college. That's not the only way to do it. You can self-teach yourself, but you know, that's really not a disciple if you're self-taught. The very word disciple means a pupil. If you don't have a teacher, you aren't really a pupil. Now, there are some of us that have been self-taught. Paul, you could say Paul was self-taught in a sense. He went into Arabia for three years. But, you know, really, he was, he was also taught because he spent, an, I don't know, decades under Gamaliel before that. He had memorized the first five books of the Bible. He had a lot of discipleship, a lot of teaching done, but it was just the wrong teaching. And then he went into the desert and spent three and a half years getting it retaught. But he was a disciple. You need somebody to disciple you. You need to be listening and absorbing the word and being changed by it. But I'm telling you, this is the process. And so what I've tried to accomplish tonight is to first of all, change the definition of success. It's not just accomplishing a goal. It's not fame and prosperity. I believe success is first of all, knowing God and then just being yielded enough to him that whatever he says, you do it you find is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That is success. And if you have all that this world has to offer, but if you don't know God, and I'm not talking about know about him, but know him like the scripture talks about. Adam knew his wife Eve and that she conceived. Cain knew his wife and she conceived. Talking about intimacy, personal relationship. If you don't have this intimate relationship with the Lord, you've missed the very first step. Why would God reveal to you all of the things he wants you to do if you're going to be a loose cannon and do it on your own and do it in your own strength? In the second chapter of the book of John, the first time Jesus went to the, um, Jerusalem, it says that many believed on his name when they saw the works which he did. But it says Jesus would not commit himself unto them because he needed not that any man would testify of man. These people were willing to say he's the Christ, but he knew that they weren't established yet. He knew that they weren't mature. They weren't disciples. They weren't born again at that time. They weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. They may have been excited at that moment, but they would have turned on him the first time persecution came or something else, and he didn't commit himself to any of them. 
The Lord isn't going to commit His long-term plans to you and open up the doors and promote you until you become trustworthy. And it takes time. It takes discipleship to get to a place to where you can handle what God has for you. One of the reasons He does this is because He loves you so much. And He does, you know, if you find God's will for your life, I can guarantee you, you just had a huge target put on you by the devil. Satan's not afraid of you doing your own thing and you asking God to bless it. That is a recipe for frustration and he knows he's got you where he wants you. You're going to be burnt out and he, he'll help you do your own thing. Even if it's good, he'll help you do it. He'll help you start a church as long as you don't depend upon God to do it. Amen. Satan loves that kind of stuff, but you find God's will. You become a living sacrifice and I guarantee you Satan realizes the danger of a man or a woman who is committed to God and is not doing their own thing, but will go anywhere and do anything that God wants them to do. You're dangerous and Satan is going to come against you. And the Lord knows that. And so he won't put you in that position and make you vulnerable, make you susceptible to those kind of attacks if you aren't willing or if you aren't able to handle it. If you haven't grown and matured to a place. You know, if the Lord would have put a $32 million building on my plate 20 years ago, you could have just shot me in the head and it had been over with, amen. I, it would have killed me. I couldn't have done it. But now it's, it's no big deal. And if this next one's 35 million, that's nothing compared to the other 11 million I need for the next parking garage and the other 10 million I need for this next step. And you know, that's no big deal now, but man, 20 or 30 years ago, it would have killed me. The Lord loved me too much to put me in this position and put me under all of this and make me try and bear it on my own. He had to mature me to a place to where I could handle it. One of the reasons that God hasn't used you is because he loves you so much and he doesn't want to abuse you. He loves you more than he loves what you could do for him. And so the very first step is to become a living sacrifice and then to renew your mind and you will prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so I know that God put this on my heart tonight for the people here to hear, not the ones that didn't come. Some of you are thinking about, oh man, I know somebody that ought to have been here. So do I. They're sitting right here in this room, amen. And this is not an indictment of whether you're a good or a bad person. It's just talking about, have you made Jesus absolute Lord of your life. Have you run up a white flag? And some of you, well, I'm not sure. Then I can guarantee you, you had. When you do that, you know. You know, after I made that commitment to the Lord, March the 23rd, 1968, the next morning, I was 18 years old. I got up in front of our Baptist church and I tried to tell them what I am. I didn't have the words. I didn't know what had happened to me, but I just told them, that I'm never going to be the same. Prior to that, every time they gave an invitation in our Baptist church, I went forward. If we had a seven-day revival, I went forward seven nights and re rededicated my life every night. I just knew that there was something more and I was always seeking for something more. If I'd have had a rededicator, I'd have worn mine out. I was down there every time. And you know what? The next morning I got up and I told them, I said, you'll never see me rededicate my life again. Never again. 
Well, I rededicate my life. And some people say, well, that's terrible. But I can guarantee you, I gave everything I had to the Lord. I didn't have anything held back. There was nothing left to give. That doesn't mean I've done it perfectly. I fail, but you know what? God, I meant it. And as soon as I see that I'm out of sync and I'm not doing what God tells me to do, I'll repent and get back into, into sync with the Lord. I haven't done it perfectly. I'm not claiming I'm doing it perfectly now, but I'm doing it to the best of my ability. And if God shows me something I'm doing wrong needs to change, I'll change in a heartbeat. You know, I was recently at a minister's conference and Happy Caldwell, who ministers in this uh, school, got up and talked about that after 30 something years building a church, millions of dollars of facility, it was his whole life. It was, it was everything he'd been focused on. God told him it was time to turn it over to somebody else and to go into a brand new deal and start over from scratch. And he taught on that. And I tell you, it changed the whole conference. The entire conference went the direction that Happy Caldwell said. Uh, and he got up and he says, would you walk away from what God, what God has used you for? He was talking to all the ministers. And you know, here I sat in the audience and we had just moved into this building about two weeks before that thing. And I had all these plans on these other things. And I was sitting there, God, would I do that? And you know what? It didn't take me two seconds. And I said, absolutely. If God told me to walk away from this, turn it over to somebody down here, and he wanted me to move to the backwaters of some place and minister to two people, I'd leave it in a second. I don't believe that's what he's calling me to do. I don't have any plans in that direction, but I'm saying that's, that's true. It's absolutely true. I'd give up anything and everything for the Lord. And I do not have to debate it. I debated it 46 years ago. And I made my decision. And I've never done it perfectly, but I've never changed my decision. I'll never change it. And when you make yourself a living sacrifice, you know you've done it. If you're struggling over, you believe God's leading you and you don't want to do it, you aren't a living sacrifice. I'm not saying that you never have a thought or a temptation, but it's really no battle because you've already decided it. Amen. If God told me to do something else, I might drive by here and say, man, this was great. I sure wished I was doing that again, but I guarantee you I'd do what God told me to do. If you've never done that tonight, the very first step is you've got to make yourself a living sacrifice. And, and it takes a work of the Holy Spirit. This isn't just something that you can do on your own. You know, I've one time had a picture of, of like standing in a mud puddle trying to clean off your feet. And you know what? You can get one up and you could clean it off, but then how are you going to clean the other one? You got to stick it back down. There. And you know, it's impossible for you to do this on your own. You have to have somebody lift you out of that situation. It takes a supernatural power of God to become a living sacrifice. But it did say that you begin the process. You present yourself as a living sacrifice. You have to make the decision. You have to crawl up on the altar and then the fire of God will fall. The fire of God will consume the sacrifice. You can't really accomplish this on your own, but God isn't going to do it to you. It's something you have to initiate. You have to make the choice. And he, it's a command that you present your body as a living sacrifice. And if you will do that and then follow through and renew your mind and get to where God's ways become your ways, you're thinking more like God than the world. 
I guarantee you, it'll be impossible for you to miss the good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Is there anybody in here tonight who's never done that that you'd be willing to do it? Anybody? If that's you, I want you to stand right where you are and I'm gonna pray for you. And we're gonna begin this process. I want you to just be honest and to stand right now and I'm gonna pray. And I hadn't got time to minister to every single person personally, but you know what? I believe that the Holy Spirit has laid this on my heart. I believe the Holy Spirit will minister to you and you could be transformed. Just like I tell people about March the 23rd, 1968, if the Lord tarries, you could be talking about June the 30th, 2014. And you could be talking about the night that everything in your life began to change. This will transform your life. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for all of these people. I know that you see their heart. And I pray that, Father, they are responding in a pure heart to the Holy Spirit, to these truths that we've shared. And I'm asking that right now, Father, as we've laid ourselves on the altar, we've crawled up there to become a living sacrifice. Father, this is what we desire. We know that we need to do it. But Father, we are incapable of doing this on our own. We just lay ourselves out before you. And right now, I ask for the fire of God to fall and to just consume these sacrifices. Father, I pray that you touch people's hearts in such a significant way that they'll never get over it. That Father, they'll know something happened, that from this time forth, their life is not their own, that they've been bought with a price that you are in control, that Father, we will go anywhere, we will do anything, we will give up anything, we will follow you anywhere, whatever it is that you have for us, knowing that you only have good things planned for us with an expected end, a hope and a future. So Father, we make this commitment and we believe that you are holding us to it. And that Father, this will be just a turning point in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for being a good God. Thank you that we can trust you and turn our lives over to you and it'll be better under your control than it was ever under our control. Father, we praise you in advance for the way that this is gonna transform us and we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.